Welcome to the Frontline Gastroenterology Podcast, based on the paper, Anorexia Nervosa and the Gastrointestinal Tract, published online in Frontline Gastroenterology in August 2021. My name is Dr. Philip Smith, Social Media and Associate Editor of Frontline Gastroenterology and Consultant Gastroenterologist at the Royal Liverpool Hospital, Liverpool, United Kingdom. And I extend a very warm welcome to fellow Northerner, Dr. Wasim Jafar, Consultant Gastroenterologist and Nutrition Lead at Stepping Hill Hospital, Stockport, Greater Manchester, the United Kingdom. Dr. Jafar, thank you so much for joining me today to do this podcast on this really important area which I think I am probably allowed to say as a fellow gastroenterologist, it's an area that's often seen as a very challenging clinical area to deal with. And I think, to be frank, sometimes it's not well managed by traditional acute hospital-based clinicians. This leads me directly into my first question regarding your excellent paper. What prompted you to write this paper? And what was your overall aim with it? Thank you. Thank you for the invite and the kind introduction. There were several reasons for writing this paper. Um, So I work in, as you said, I work in Stepham Hill Hospital, which is a district general in Stockport in in the northwest of England. And over the last few years, we've seen a significant increase in admissions uh, of patients with anorexia nervosa, and no more so than we've had a spike in, in the pandemic year over the last 18 months or so. And as you said, as you correctly said, we there was a lot of frustration in terms of there was a general lack of knowledge, uh, skills, and confidence in managing this complex group of patients. So it led us to writing a SOP uh, to guide fellow clinicians in the trust and also to help with the referral to the nutrition support team, uh, which which is in the gastroenterology directorate, because we did believe that this group of patients required expert input so there was no real standardization to their management so we wanted to highlight the common GI physical manifestations and the aim was to ensure that if our healthcare colleagues in primary care or secondary care uh, picked up this paper um, and read it then they could then reflect on some of the presentations that they review and maybe say, well, I didn't consider anorexia nervosa. And and yes, maybe that this is part of the differential diagnosis and prompt an earlier referral to a specialist in the relevant multidisciplinary team. And that's pretty much the reason why we decided to write this paper um, in the first place. Thank you. I must say, I I love the paper. I think the figures are beautiful and, um, and I think it's really useful. In the paper... You described that the COVID-19 pandemic as being a precipitant almost for patients presenting with anorexia nervosa and eating disorders. Have you any idea why you think this may have occurred, why this was the case? And how available are specialist services that you uh, refer to for these conditions in the UK? So there are several factors that probably led to a spike in admissions during the pandemic. Uh, period, and this has been reflected and reported not only in the media but in the pediatric and adult literature. And I think that the lockdowns and the loss and the isolation that created and the loss of social support networks may be one of those factors, and that probably also increased anxiety levels. Um, another factor would have been the disruption to exercise and food habits, 
an increase in concern about appearance as well during this period. And we also noticed that there was media consistently reporting on the dangers of higher body weight. And this was for a significant period of time, and we're still not really out of the pandemic. There is a significant challenge for this group of patients because there is a shortage of eating disorder beds, not only regionally, but nationally. There's a shortage of trained mental health nurses, and there's also a shortage of psychiatrists with many eating disorder psychiatry posts remaining unfilled in the NHS. This is a very complex group of patients who require a multidisciplinary team input. And I think the COVID-19 pandemic has led to some patients relapsing and some patients developing the disorder for the first time as well. Thank you. I think I certainly agree with you. It's almost like a perfect storm of of things really um, coming together during the, the pandemic to lead to to this situation. You discuss in your paper the main differences between the two major types of eating disorders, um, anorexia and bulimia nervosa. Just for our listeners who may need an update um, or may want an update, can you describe the differences in those uh, conditions and the the approaches available for the patients with these different uh, conditions? So when we set about writing this paper, we would have liked to probably write in detail about both anorexia nervosa and uh, bulimia nervosa. However, that would have been too wide a scope. So this paper really did focus on um, anorexia nervosa and the physical manifestations of anorexia nervosa. However, we did highlight the differences because there are some important differences that the frontline healthcare provider needs to be aware about. And it's summarized in a table within, within the manuscript. From a pragmatic viewpoint, I think it's important to realize that anorexia nervosa is two subtypes, one of which is the restrictive subtype and the other one is the binge purge subtype. And so there is a crossover with some of the symptoms of bulimia nervosa. However, what is profoundly different is the degree of weight loss in anorexia. And I think we certainly, our experience has been that the more serious presentations have been those with anorexia nervosa and particularly those of the uh, restrictive subtype. So it all boils down to taking a detailed history uh, and understanding what the actual presentation is will help you to decide whether it's a different subtype of anorexia or whether it is indeed bulimia nervosa that they're presenting with. It can be, uh, I agree, I think it can be difficult sometimes to uh, elucidate the, the main differences and history is crucial really. Your paper, uh, the main bulk of your paper describes a really a multitude of different manifestations of anorexia nervosa within the GI tract. Um, I'm not asking you to to go through absolutely every detailed bit, but could you just give a very brief flavor and an overview of this and the diagnostic issues and the treatment issues um, this can lead to? So there are many uh, physical manifestations of anorexia, and it involves pretty much the whole of the GI tract. And some of the more common uh, symptoms or signs that somebody may encounter, is that really related to delayed transit? Um, There's a significant reduction in transit, such as a delay in gastric emptying, for example. 
and patients can present with postprandial fullness, bloating, early satiety, nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain, gastroesophageal reflux. And these symptoms are very challenging because they may actually interfere with your ultimate goal, which is nutritional therapy and reinstitution of calories. So you're in a catch-22 situation, really. So you want to reinstitute calories to help improve GI tract mortality and ultimately symptoms. However, these very same symptoms may hinder your ability to institute those calories in the first place. And that's why we would always advocate that these patients are reviewed and managed ideally by an expert team, ideally a nutrition support team with a relevant expert dietitian as well. There are also more rare presentations that we talk about in the paper, such as acute gastric dilatation and even perforation resulting from a prior binge, and also pancreatitis, ischemia, both of the large and small bowel, which can be associated with a high morbidity and mortality, and abnormal liver function tests, and in in some rare instances, a significant transaminitis as well. So there is a wide range of signs and symptoms relating to both the hollow and solid organs of the GI tract. And having an awareness of this will kind of help with patients who are presenting to either primary care or secondary care. Yeah, I I think certainly, um, you know, having an awareness of all of these things will will certainly help in primary and secondary care. And thank you for that detailed response. I think we all know the the pressures on the health service in the UK. Um, Certainly our UK listeners will be well aware of this and also pressures elsewhere around the world. Based upon your knowledge and expertise, what is the best way these patients can be treated and managed in in an outpatient department? I think the most important thing is to recognise the disease and, and the condition in the first place and recognise it earlier, as we've highlighted, that symptoms are varied and overlap with many other common gastroenterological diagnosis and that can lead you down a path of several investigations uh, which may not ultimately help solve the problem. Therefore we think that an early referral to a psychiatrist preferably with an expertise in eating disorders would be very beneficial. A referral to an expert dietitian again preferably with an expertise in managing eating disorders uh, would be also advisable. There are certain challenges that have arisen because of the pandemic and there has been a reduction in face-to-face appointments and that also raises challenges with obtaining accurate weight and BMI trajectories, timely blood tests and observations. Well, thank you very much. I mean, I think um, this is a, a really superb frontline gastroenterology paper. It's perfect for frontline clinicians which is exactly what the journal is all about so i found this podcast really interesting and thank you very much for answering all the questions congratulations to you and your co-author again on this excellent uh paper again today for our listeners you can follow the link underneath this podcast 
to the um, to the paper, which you can read online or download. And and of course, um, it'd be great if you could join us again in the future for further Frontline Gastroenterology podcast. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>